The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zulsdorf with another podcast. Today we welcome as our guest St. Augustine of Hippo, a frequent visitor in these podcasts. St. Augustine died in 430 A.D., and he will speak to us today from across the centuries about St. John the Baptist. Today is the feast day of John the Baptist, the feast of the nativity of St. John, who is called by the Lord himself the greatest man born of a woman. Today we will also hear another in the series of stories about Don Camillo, wonderful stories by Giovanni Guareschi. Today is the Feast of St. John the Baptist, the Nativity of St. John. And in the readings today, in the Office of Readings, in the Liturgy of the Hours, there is a selection from a sermon by the great Bishop of Hippo, St. Augustine. This is Sermon 293. Uh, it's indicated as 293 in the Liturgy of the Hours. It's actually, if you're using a critical edition, uh, rather than the old Patrologia Latina that the uh, breviary uh, uses. If you look at a critical edition, you'll find a whole bunch of sermons by St. Augustine about John the Baptist, and the one we're looking at is 293a, and the uh, reading seems to be taken from you know various places in that sermon. Um, the, the sermons uh, by Augustine about St. John are very worth uh, your attention. Uh, he develops, for example, a profound explanation of John and Christ as voice and word. And um, uh, I've written about it on the blog a couple times. Uh, you might uh, just do a little, a little uh, Google search about John, Christ, voice, word, uh, vox, verbum, that sort of thing. Uh, the... A couple things you might want to listen for. Uh, first of all, note that Augustine makes a reference to times that he is not there with his flock in Hipporagius, which is in modern-day Algeria. Augustine was away often. He traveled, for example, very frequently to Carthage, and he went to other places as well. So he was gone from time to time. In his uh, from his diocese from his flock, and this is probably what he's talking about. Uh, you know, when you, uh, when when I'm not here to explain everything, you can nevertheless um, consider the scripture you may be hearing uh, through the Holy Spirit, whose temple you have become. Uh, so listen to uh, listen for that little moment. Listen also for the significance Augustine gives to the ages of the mothers of John and of Christ. John is born of an old woman, uh, in Latin, Anicula, and she is old because John is the link figure to the Old Testament. And uh, Christ, of course, is born of a young woman, and he is, of course, for the New Testament. Um, it's He has a, a nice little play of words in the Latin. Uh, Nasci turiwanis de anicula sterili, 
Nascitur Christus de Juvencula Virgine. He sets up a nice parallel there. That's something that you can hear in the Latin really well. And uh, I'll include the Latin uh, in this uh, podcast this time so that you can get it into your ears a little bit. We'll have it after the English. Uh, in any event, without further delay, let's hear this excerpt from Sermon 293a in the Office of Readings in the Liturgy of the Hours for the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. The Church observes the birth of John as in some way sacred, and you will not find any other of the great men of old whose birth we celebrate officially. We celebrate John's as we celebrate Christ's. This point cannot be passed over in silence, and if I may not perhaps be able to explain it in the way that such an important matter deserves, it is still worth thinking about a little more deeply and fruitfully than usual. John is born of an old woman who is barren. Christ is born of a young woman who is a virgin. That John will be born is not believed, and his father is struck dumb. That Christ will be born is believed, and he is conceived by faith. I have proposed some matters for inquiry, and listed in advance some things that need to be discussed. I have introduced these points, even if we are not up to examining all the twists and turns of such a great mystery, either for lack of capacity or for lack of time. You will be taught much better by the one who speaks in you, even when I am not here, the one about whom you think loving thoughts, the one whom you have taken into your hearts, and whose temple you have become. John, it seems, has been inserted as a kind of boundary between the two testaments, the old and the new. That he is somehow or other a boundary is something that the Lord himself indicates when he says, The law and the prophets were until John. So he represents the old and heralds the new. Because he represents the old, he is born of an elderly couple. Because he represents the new, he is revealed as a prophet in his mother's womb. You will remember that before he was born, at Mary's arrival, he leapt in his mother's womb. Already he had been marked out there, designated, before he was born. It was already shown whose forerunner he would be, even before he saw him. These are divine matters, and exceed the measure of human frailty. Finally, he is born, he receives a name, and his father's tongue is loosed. Zachary is struck dumb and loses his voice, until John, the Lord's forerunner, is born and releases his voice for him. What does Zachary's silence mean but that prophecy was obscure and, before the proclamation of Christ, somehow concealed and shut up. It is released and opened up by his arrival. It becomes clear when the one who was being prophesied is about to come. The releasing of Zachary's voice at the birth of John has the same significance as the tearing of the veil of the temple at the crucifixion of Christ.
if John were meant to proclaim himself, he would not be opening Zachary's mouth. The tongue is released because a voice is being born. For when John was already heralding the Lord, he was asked, Who are you? And he replied, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John is the voice, but the Lord in the beginning was the Word. John is a voice for a time, but Christ is the eternal Word from the beginning. Nativitatem Ioannis, podamodo consecratam observat ecclesia. Nec invenitur ulus in patribus cuius nativitatem solemniter celebremus. Celebramus Ioannis, celebramus et Christi. Hoc vacare non potest, et si forte ha nobis protante rei diditate minus explicatur, fructuosius tamen et altius cogitatur. Nascitur Ioannis de Anicula Sterili. Nascitur Christus de Juvencula Virgine. Non creditur Ioannes nasciturus et fit pater mutus. Creditur Christus et fide concibitur. Proposuimus inquirenda et discutienda prediximus, sed hoc prelocutusum, et si omnibus tanti misterii sidibus perscrutandis non sufficimus vel facultate vel tempore, melius vos docebit qui loquitur in vobis, et siam absentibus nobis, quem pie cogitatis, quem corde sucepistis, cuius templa facti estis. Videtur ergo Ioannes, Interjectus quidam limes testamentorum duorum, veteris et novi. Nam eum esse quodamodo limitem, dominus ipse testatur dicens, lex et profete usque ad Ioannem baptistam. Sustinet ergo personam vetustatis, et preconium novitatis. Propter personam vetustatis, de senibus nascitur, propter personam novitatis, in visceribus matris profeta declaratur. Non dum enim natus ad sancte Mariae adventum, exultavit in utero matris. Iam ibi designatus erat designatus antequam natus, cuius precursor eset ostenditur antequam ab eo videretur. Divina sunt hec, et mensuram humane fragilitatis excedunt. Postremo nascitur, accepit nomen, lingua solvitur patris. Refer quod factum est ad significantem imaginem rerum. Zacharias tacet et amitit vocem. Donec Ioannis nasceretur, precursor domini, et aperiret vocem. Quid est silentium Zacariae, nisi profezia latens, et ante predicationem Christi quodam modo occulta et clausa? Aperitur Ilius adventu, clara fit venturo eo qui profetabatur. Hoc est ap 
tertio vocis Zacariae in nativitate Ioannis, quod est discissio veli in cruce Christi. Ioannis si ipsum annunciaret, Zacariae os non aperiret. Solvitur lingua, quia nascitur vox, nam Ioanni iam prenuncianti dominum dictunst, tu quises, et respondit, ego sum vox clamantis in eremo. Vox Ioannis, dominus autem in principio erat verbum. Ioannis vox ad tempus, Christus verbum in principio eternum. another story from The Little World of Don Camillo by Giovanni Guareschi. These are wonderful stories that are set in a little town in northern Italy near the Po River. It's just after World War II when there was a great struggle going on in Italy for control uh, between the communists and the Christian Democrats who were of course backed by the church. Now the main characters in Guareschi's stories in the little world of Don Camillo are, of course, Don Camillo, he's the parish priest, Don Camillo Tarrocci, a big, powerful man, and uh, his arch-nemesis, the communist mayor, Beppone, Big Joe, as it were. And, uh, of course, another uh, very important character in the stories is Christ himself, Christ found on the large crucifix in the parish church. Don Camillo goes to talk to him all the time. These stories are a great blend of uh, real insight into the human condition and also Catholic faith as it's lived, as, it, as it's applied, shall we say. So here is a story from the little world of Don Camillo, the first in a series of books by Giovanni Guareschi. And today we hear Men and Beasts. Men and Beasts La Grande was an enormous farm with a hundred cows, modern dairy, orchards, and all the rest, and everything belonged to old Pasotti, who lived alone. One day the army of farmhands who worked on the place went on strike, and, led by Pipone, went en masse to the big house and were interviewed by old Pasotti from a window. "'May God smite you!' he shouted, thrusting out his head. "'Can't a decent man have peace in this filthy country?' "'A decent man, yes,' replied Pepone, "'but not profiteers who deny their workmen what is their just due.' "'I only admit of dues as fixed by the law,' retorted Pasotti, "'and I am perfectly within the law.' Then Pepone told him that so long as he refused to grant the concessions demanded, the workers of La Grande would not work. So you can feed your hundred cows yourself, Pepone concluded. 
"'Very well,' replied Pasotti. He closed the window and resumed his interrupted slumbers. This was the beginning of the strike at La Grande, and it was a strike organized by Peppone in person, with a squad of overseers, regular watches, pickets, and barricades. The doors and windows of the cowhouse were nailed up and seals placed upon them. On the first day, the cows lowed because they had not been milked. On the second day, they lowed because they had not been milked and because they were very hungry. And on the third day, thirst was added to all the rest, and the lowing could be heard for miles around. Then Pasotti's old servant came out the back door of the big house and explained to the men on picket duty that she was going to the village to the pharmacy to buy disinfectants. I have told the master that he can't possibly want to get cholera from the stench when all the cows have died of starvation. This remark caused quite a lot of head-shaking among the older laborers who had been working for more than fifty years for Pasotti and who knew that he was incredibly pig-headed. And then Peponi himself stepped in to say, with the support of his staff, that if any one dared go near the cow-house, he would be treated as a traitor to his country. Toward the evening of the fourth day, Giacomo, an old cowman from La Grande, came to the rectory. "'There's a cow due to calve, and she's crying out to fit to break your heart, and she will certainly die unless someone goes to help her. But if anyone attempts to go near the cow-house, they will break every bone in his body.' Don Camillo went and clung to the altar-rails. "'Lord,' he said, "'you must hold on to me.' or I will make the march to Rome. Steady, Don Camillo, replied Christ gently. Nothing is ever gained by violence. You must try to calm these people, so that they will listen to reason and avoid acts of violence. Very true, sighed Don Camillo. One must make them listen to reason. All the same, it seems a pity that one, while one is preaching reason, the cows should die. Christ smiled. By violence you may save a hundred beasts and kill one man. By using persuasion you may lose the beasts but avoid the loss of that man. Which seems preferable, violence or persuasion? Don Camillo, who was full of indignation, was reluctant to renounce his idea of a march on Rome, shook his head. Lord, you are confusing the issue. This is not only a question of the loss of a hundred cows, but of the public patrimony, and the death of those animals is a loss for every one of us, good and bad, and it could intensify existing differences and create a conflict in which not only one but twenty men might die. Christ was not of his opinion. But if, by reasoning, you avoid one man being killed today, couldn't you also, by reasoning, avoid others being killed tomorrow? Don Camillo, have you lost your faith? Don Camillo went out for a walk across the fields because he was restless, and it so happened that, quite by chance, his ears became more and more painfully aware of the lowing of the hundred cows at La Grande. Then he heard the voices of the men on picket duty at the barricades, and at the end of ten minutes he found himself crawling inside and along the great cement irrigation ditch that passed underneath the wire fence, and which was fortunately not in use at the moment. 
And now, thought Don Camillo, I just need to find someone waiting at the end of this ditch to knock me on the head. But there wasn't anyone there, and Don Camillo was left in peace to make his way cautiously in the direction of the farm. Halt! said a voice presently, and Don Camillo jumped behind a tree trunk. Halt or I fire! repeated the voice, which came from behind another tree trunk on the further side of the ditch. It was an evening of coincidences, and Don Camillo, quite by chance, had come prepared. "'Be careful, Peppone, because I'll fire.' "'Ah!' muttered the other. "'I might have known that you would be mixed up in this business.' "'Truce of God,' said Don Camillo. "'And if either of us breaks it, he is damned. "'I'll count, and when I say three, we both jump into that ditch.' "'You wouldn't be a priest if you weren't so mistrustful,' replied Pepone, and at the count of three he jumped, and they found themselves sitting together at the bottom of the ditch. From the cow-house came the desperate lowing of the cows, and it was enough to make one cry. "'I suppose you enjoy such music,' muttered Don Camillo, a pity that it will stop when all the cows have died.' Why not persuade the farmhands to burn the crops in the barns? Just think of poor Pasotti if he were driven to take refuge in some Swiss hotel to spend those millions he has deposited there. He'd have to reach Switzerland first, growled Peponi threateningly. Exactly, exclaimed Don Camillo. It's about time we did away with that fifth commandment which forbids us to kill. And when one eventually comes face to face with Almighty God, one will only have to speak out bluntly, That's quite enough from you, my dear eternal father, or Pepone will proclaim a general strike and make everyone fold their arms. By the way, Pepone, how are you going to get the angels to fold their arms? Have you thought about that? Pepone's roar vied with that of the expecting cow, whose complaints were heart-rending. "'You are no priest,' he vociferated. "'You are the chief of the Gestapo.' "'The Gestapo is your affair,' Don Camillo corrected him. "'You go around by night in other people's houses, clutching a tommy gun like a bandit. "'And what about you? I am in the service of the people, and I in the service of God.' Pepone kicked a stone. No use trying to argue with a priest. Before you have uttered two words, they drag in politics. Peppone began Don Camillo gently, but the other cut him short. Now don't you begin jawing about the national patrimony and rubbish of that kind, or as sure as there is a God in heaven, I'll shoot you, he exclaimed. Don Camillo shook his head. No use trying to argue with a red. Before you have uttered two words, they drag in politics. The cow that was about to calve complained loudly. "'Who goes there?' came a sudden voice from someone very close to the ditch. Then Brusco and two others appeared. "'Go and take a walk along the road to the mill,' Pepone ordered them. "'All right,' replied Brusco. "'But who are you talking to?' "'To your damned soul!' roared Pepone furiously. "'That cow that is going to calve is bellowing,' muttered Brusco. "'Go and tell the priest about it,' bawled Pepone, "'and let her rot. "'I am working for the interests of the people, not of cows.' "'Keep your hair on, chief,' stammered Brusco, "'making off hastily with his companions.' "'Very well, Pepone. "'And now we are going to work for the interests of the people.' "'What are you going to do?' 
Don Camilo set out quietly along the ditch toward the farm, and Pepone told him to halt or he would get what he was asking for between the shoulders. Pepone is as stubborn as a mule, said Don Camilo calmly, but he doesn't shoot at the backs of poor priests who are doing what God has commanded. Then Pepone swore blasphemously, and Don Camilo turned on him in a flash. If you don't stop behaving like a goat, I'll give you one on the jaw, just as I did to your celebrated federal champion. You needn't tell me. I knew all along that it was you. But that was different. Don Camilo walked along quietly, followed by the other, muttering and threatening to shoot. As they approached the cow-barn, another voice called to them to halt. "'Go to hell,' replied Pepone. "'I am here myself now, so you can get along to the dairy.' Don Camilo did not even glance at the cow-barn door with its seals. He went straight up the stairs to the hayloft above it, and called in a low voice, "'Giacomo!' The old cow-hand, who had come to see him earlier and had related the story of the cow, got up out of the hay. Don Camilo had a flashlight, and by shifting a bale of hay they found the trap-door. "'Go down,' said Don Camilo to the old man, who climbed down and disappeared for some time. "'She's had her calf all right,' he whispered when he returned. "'I've seen a thousand of them through it, and I know more than any vet.' "'Now go along home,' Don Camilo told the old man, and the old man went. "'Then Don Camilo opened the trap-door again, and sent a bale of hay through the opening. "'What do you think you're doing?' asked Pepone, who had so far remained hidden. "'Help me to throw down these bales, and I'll tell you.' "'Grumbling as he did so, Pepone sent to work, chucking down the bales, "'and when Don Camilo jumped down after them into the cow-barn, Pepone followed him. Don Camilo carried a bale to the right-hand manger. "'You'd better attend to the left-hand mangers,' he said to Pepone. "'Not if you murder me!' shouted Pepone, seizing a bale and carrying it to the manger. They worked like an army. Then there was the problem of watering the animals, and since they were dealing with a modern cow-barn with drinking troughs placed along the outer walls, it involved turning one hundred cows right around, and then trying to stop them from drinking themselves to death. When they had finished, it was still pitch dark in the cow-house, but that was merely because all the shutters of the windows had been sealed from the outside. "'It's three o'clock in the afternoon,' said Don Camilo, looking at his watch. "'We'll have to wait until evening before we can get out.' Pepone was in a fury, but there was nothing for it but patience." When evening fell, Pepone and Don Camilo were still playing cards by the light of an oil lamp. "'I'm so hungry I should swallow a bishop whole,' exclaimed Pepone savagely. "'Hard on the digestion, Mr. Mayor,' replied Don Camilo quietly, though he himself was faint with hunger and could have devoured a cardinal. "'Before saying you're hungry, you should fast for as many days as these cows.' Before leaving, they again filled the mangers with hay. Pepone tried to resist, saying that it was betraying the people, but Don Camilo was inflexible. And so it happened that during the night there was a deathly silence in the cow-barn, and old Pasotti, hearing no more lowing from the cows, was afraid that they were so far gone that they hadn't even the strength to complain. In the morning, 
he made a move to settle with Pippone, and with some give and take on both sides, the strike was settled. In the afternoon, Pippone turned up at the rectory. Well, said Don Camillo in honeyed tones, you revolutionaries should always listen to your old parish priest. You really should, my dear children. Pippone stood with folded arms, speechless. Then he blurted out, "'But my tommy-gun, reverendo!' "'Your tommy-gun,' replied Don Camillo with a smile. "'I'm afraid I don't understand. "'You had it yourself.' "'Yes, I had it when we were leaving the cow-barn, "'but then you took advantage of my exhaustion and stole it from me.' "'Now that you mention it, I believe you're right,' "'replied Don Camillo with disarming candor. "'You must forgive me, Pepone, but the truth is that I'm getting old.' and I don't seem to remember where I put it. Reverendo, exclaimed Pepone indignantly, but that's the second one you swiped from me. Never mind, my son, don't worry. You will easily find another. Who knows how many you have, even now, lying around your house. You are one of those priests that, one way or another, compel a decent man to become a Mohammedan. Very possibly, replied Don Camillo. But then you, Pepone, are not a decent man. Pepone flung his hat on the ground. If you were a decent man, the priest went on, you would be thanking me for what I have done for you and for the people. Pepone picked up his hat, jammed it on his head, and turned away. You can rob me of two hundred thousand tommy guns, but when the time comes I will always have a seventy-five to train on this infernal house. "'And I'll always find an eighty-one mortar with which to retaliate,' replied Don Camillo calmly. As Pepone was passing the open door of the church, he could see the altar, and angrily pulled off his hat and then crammed it on again quickly for fear someone should see him. But Christ saw it. And when Don Camillo came in, he said gaily, "'Pepone went by just now and took off his hat to me.' "'You be careful, Lord,' replied Don Camillo. "'Remember, someone kissed you and then sold you for thirty pieces of silver. "'That fellow who took off his hat told me only three minutes before "'that when the time came he would always find a seventy-five to fire on the house of God. "'And what did you reply?' "'That I would always manage to find an eighty-one mortar to fire on his headquarters.' "'I understand, Don Camillo, but the trouble is that you... "'Have that mortar already.' "'Don Camillo spread out his arms. "'Lord,' he said, "'there are so many odds and ends "'a man hates to throw away because of old memories. "'All of us are a bit sentimental. "'And then, in any case, "'isn't it better that a thing like that be in my house "'rather than in someone else's?' "'Don Camillo is always right,' smiled Christ, "'just as long as he plays fair.' No fear about that. I have the best advisor in the universe, replied Don Camilo. And to this, Christ could make no reply.
With that, I think we should wrap this up. Please visit the blog, WDTPRS.com. That's Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. Or, if you want something a little easier to remember, FatherZOnline.com, F E T H E R Z Online.com. And you can also send me voicemail, send me feedback. You can use Skype. The Skype address is that famous WDTPRS. Or you can also call a phone number in either the U.K. or the U.S.A. Check the blog for the phone numbers. That's the easiest way to do it. And while you're there, please click on the donation button. You can contribute to the upkeep of the blog and these audio projects. With that, thank you very much for listening, and please pray for me as I will for you. 